was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so happy to present part one of my interview with Broadway leading lady Beth Fowler. Beth Fowler is a two-time Tony Award nominee for her performances in The Boy From Oz and Sweeney Todd. Among the other shows she starred in on Broadway include Teddy and Alice, Take Me Along, Beauty and the Beast, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, A Little Night Music, Over Here, Baby, Peter Pan, Gantry, Bells Are Ringing, and Inherit the Wind. Among Miss Fowler's on-screen credits are Orange is the New Black, Sister Act, the new movie One December Night, and more. So now, without further ado, Beth Fowler. I'd love to start by asking you how you first became interested in theater. Um, I was born and raised in New Jersey, and so my parents took me to my first Broadway show when I was 10 years old, and um, I was, uh, it was Carousel, and it frightened me. <laughs> All I remember was the gunshot and the gloomy, it, it was, it, but it was uh, thrilling, and um, then over the years, I saw other things, and I uh, went to college and became a music teacher, and during those years, um, my college years and uh, when I was first teaching, I just made it my business to um, go to Broadway shows on my own and with my friends, my fellow school teachers, and I, it was the golden age. It was uh, in the 60s, and, you know, I saw Streisand do Funny Girl and all that sort of thing, and um, we'd go and buy the cheap sneak seats and then sneak down to the front of the, you know, front mezzanine. Um, but I never dreamed, uh, truly never dreamed that I would be on the stage, and I never did any form of per per uh, performing, except in high school, where uh, I, I went to a Catholic high school in New Jersey, and there was a, um, a an English teacher there who was the, she was a nun, and she was the coach for the what we called the Forensic League, which is speechifying and debating and all that sort of thing. And I was encouraged by a neighbor to uh, participate, and I did, and I started winning prizes, so she kept working with me, and I won a couple of state championships by doing things like a, a humorous, humorous monologue, uh, uh, a dramatic monologue, um, uh, uh, speeches, that sort of thing, you know, like 10 minutes, and I won a couple of trophies for the school. Oh. And I didn't start singing in public until, when I say public, I mean in school, until I was a senior in high school. So I had no, nothing started early in, in my life. My parents uh, did go to theater and, and the concerts and the opera and so forth, but um, we just went occasionally as a family. Uh, and I, I had interest in it only as an observer and a fan. And when I was in high school, I played a lot of, um, Broadway albums, you know, the My Fair Ladies and the South Pacifics and all of that, and sang along with them. And that was all. 
And when did that interest sort of turn into wanting to perform professionally? I started working in community theater and um, a professional, the producer of a professional summer stock theater came to see a production that I was doing that had been directed by a friend of hers and she came backstage. I was doing Philia in Forum and uh, she asked me about my background and would I be interested. Oh, you're a teacher. Well, you're free in the summer. Why don't you come and audition for our theater, which I did, and I was in the ensemble and did one major role that summer only because someone who was scheduled to play Megan Brigadoon got How Now Dow Jones, oh. and that was Patty, Patty Cope, who was Will McKenzie's wife, um, as, and you probably recognize that name if you're a big uh, theater fan from Hello, Dolly, and he went on to become a great director on TV, and um, the drill was that it was, you know, eight shows in nine weeks. You probably heard about that that used to go yes, on. Yeah. In stuff. And that was uh, when people were saying to me, why are you a school teacher and you're not with us? And I just kept saying, I'm not good at that. And they kept saying, yes, you are. So I thought, well, that's very nice. You know, oh. people are very nice to me. And because uh, I'm a nice girl, <laughs> I just took it like that. But then the teachers were threatening to go on strike because they weren't happy about the contract, and um, I found that upsetting, and <clears throat> I uh, decided that I would not sign my contract, and since I lived in New Jersey with my parents, uh, back in the day that was acceptable for young Catholic women, um, and not unusual, um, that I would give myself two years in the business, and uh, just to get it out of my system, and uh, that was that. I, I, um, and I decided to do that. I gave myself an ultimatum. They were doing a, a production of My Fair Lady at Allenbury Playhouse, and um, I auditioned for Eliza, and I said to myself, if I get Eliza, I won't sign my contract. And that's what happened. I got Eliza, I didn't sign my, my uh, teaching contract, and that was the beginning. And then, then when I, after I had done that, the, I didn't have an agent or anything, so I went to open calls, using using backstage, the the uh, trade tray paper, and show business. But backstage, we even our newbies knew that backstage was more reliable. Um, and I went to an open call for Gantry, uh -oh. and starring uh, Robert Shaw and Rita Moreno, and you probably have read about that. If yes, you've yeah. done homework about me. So, and you know that I went on in previews for her uh, without any rehearsal. Uh, the only preparation I had uh, on 12 hours notice was to uh, uh, have had a walkthrough with the stage manager illegally at nine o'clock in the morning um, on the stage of the... Uh, George Abbott Theater, and then at 11.30, I had to go to my chorus rehearsal, and wow. then I played lead in the, in the show that night, yeah. <laughs> if, if you can believe that, it's true, and then Helen Hayes was in the audience that night, and uh, she asked to come backstage to see me because she thought it was thrilling that I was new and that I had done this thing with uh, opposite Robert Shaw. And when I saw her face in my dressing room mirror as my wig was being removed by the hairdresser and my mother was standing alongside me, 
I had been very stoic through the whole night. Everybody was worried that I wasn't nervous because I didn't show my nerves, but oh. actually I was like inches off the floor. And um, and Miss Hayes uh, started to say nice things to me, and I burst into tears. That's when I lost it. And the hairdresser was crying, and my mother was crying, and Helen Hayes was crying. <laughs> so she, she withdrew and, um, and, and gave me a hug and said goodbye. And uh, I got to meet her. I, I brought myself backstage when she did Harvey a few months later. Uh-oh. And uh, she spoke very nicely to me and gave me some advice. And it was, uh, it was very lovely. And so growing up in New Jersey, when did you decide to move to New York? And did you know that that was something you wanted to do? Always, I never moved. I never moved to New York. I oh. still live in New Jersey. Oh. Always lived in New Jersey. I've always lived close enough that I could get to the theater in forty-five minutes. Of course, there's always somebody in my way, so I have to give myself an hour and a half to travel. And were you originally focused on being mostly a singer or a dancer or an actor or all three or something? Well, it was my voice. It was my voice that opened the door. Yeah. Everybody was raving about my voice, and then people were surprised that uh, I could act yeah. when I did, when I, when I was called upon, which always kind of shocked me. I would think to myself, and I've heard other people say, what do they think that you're doing during the songs? <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And so on the show Gangtree, what was it like to be working with Anna White, who was the director and choreographer? It was pretty hilarious, actually. Um, she was a very vivacious uh, lady, and um, she had people around her that were helping her with the choreography and stuff, which I thought was very funny. Um, it it, uh, it was a strange combination of people. Um, the, the man who wrote it was uh, an Englishman, the the, uh, the playwright, I should say, um, uh, was a, a Brit, and I don't think really had any serious concept of what revivalist, spiritual revivalist meetings were like. Um, and uh, I don't know; it, it was uh, it was ill conceived. It had a lovely score. The the men who wrote it uh, were experienced, and Stan Lebowski and Fred Tobias. And, um, but uh, it's. I, I don't know how to, I can't be objective about it, and certainly didn't get very much feedback about it because we closed opening night, so I didn't learn very much about the actual production myself, other than, uh, I couldn't believe that it closed opening night, it was so shocking to me, after all the work we had done, I didn't know that could even happen, that's how new I was. And what were some of the other things you learned from this first experience on Broadway? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I guess I learned a great deal about myself um, and what I was capable of doing. I, if anybody had told me that I would be playing a starring role on the Broadway stage and having people interested in my talent as a result of it, um, I wouldn't have believed them. I was called into people's offices from around town. Evidently, the word went out. And because I didn't have an agent or a manager or anything, certainly I didn't pursue any follow-up. I certainly was going to go bragging about that I was going on Broadway that night because I was terrified. Uh, And I'd never been on a Broadway stage. As a matter of fact, when I was singing my first ballad, which uh, uh, I'll give you a little anecdote. When when it was announced, uh, we were all, the company was standing behind the Grand Curtain at Places. 
Um, and the uh, announcement was made by the stage manager, the audience, that uh, Miss Morena would not appear, and there was a lot of booing, and people got up and left, and and all that sort of thing. And it came back to me that um, nobody asked for their money back at the end, but um, the... Uh, uh, what was I going to say? Well, I forget. Um, oh, that I... That, when I sang my first ballad, or her first ballad, um, the audience gave me a very sturdy round of applause, and I was very excited, and I was singing it to Robert Shaw, and uh, I had made the mistake of looking into the spotlight because I didn't know any better. Oh. And he grabbed me and kissed me on the lips and left me in the dark center stage. And the only thing that I had forgotten to learn was my exits. Oh. I knew what my next scene was, but I couldn't remember which side of the stage they wanted me to exit from. So I exited stage left and had to re-enter in a couple of moments on stage right. It was a, a night of madness, but, but I carried it off evidently. And yes. um, Marty Charnin wanted to meet me and uh, um, a big Broadway uh, casting director wanted to meet me and I was interviewed by people and somebody in the cast, one of the chorus girls called her agent and she said you've got to get this kid she's really good and she doesn't have an agent and that's how i got an agent wow it was kind of i don't know that you've ever heard of anybody starting (laughs) off on broadway that way but it was kind of insane in fact when i've told that friends and people i've made friends with in the business they just sit there and gape at me you know it's like it's hard to believe but it's true it's really true and so I'd be curious to know early on, were there performers who you specifically sort of admired or maybe wanted to be like or anything like that? I didn't aspire to be like anybody. Um, I didn't dare to think that I would be like anybody. And the ones whom I admired were so distinctive that I would couldn't, I knew I couldn't be like them anyway. So I was always surprised when I was cast in things. I knew myself well enough to know what I was right for. Yeah. I had a voice that could sing a lot of different kinds of things. I could be, when I was doing community theater, I was doing things from Mrs. Malloy and Annie yeah. Get Your Gun and, you know, Philia and uh, a, a wide gamut, MAME, uh, you know, lots of different kinds of parts. and. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a dancer. Uh, I wasn't classically trained at all, as you could surmise. I only had a music background because I was a music teacher in grade school. So, so no, I didn't um, aspire to be anybody or be like anybody. <clears throat> I was interested in what other people around me were doing yeah. to further their careers because I had no clue, you know? And so did I did have a music. I did excuse me. I did have a voice teacher oh. who was also in the business, um, and so she had a little more. She knew people, and she would um, suggest to me what what I should do and what I shouldn't do. You know, Uh-oh. just as a friend. And so you were saying that Gantry did close in one night, which leads me to ask you: How do you feel about critics in theater and their role in the theater? Well, uh, I can remember that I learned very early on in my career, and it was borne out over the decades, uh, at least for the first two or three decades, 
that the New York Times had entirely too much control. Um, if the Times uh, didn't like a show, um, the theater party ladies would withdraw their investments that they made before we opened. For example, we, I did a show called Take Me Along in good speed, and we did it out of town, and we did it uh, in one of the um, venues was the uh, Kennedy Center, and we broke the season house record. Um, we got good reviews, and it came in, and we got mixed reviews in New York, but the Times didn't like it, and the theater ladies, theater party ladies, had gone down to the Kennedy Center because they had heard about it when we did it in um, Springfield, Massachusetts, I think, or something, or, or Hartford, or New, New Haven, I guess it was. And um, and they came back, came home and bought hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tickets. And by 10 o'clock the next morning, uh, it was gone. That, that money was gone. So I thought that was horrifying. I had the same experience with the... Uh, with another show, but it's, uh, uh, well, not really. But the Cantry and that, uh, that's probably what happened with Cantry as well. Um, but there were shows that I was in that were not the greatest, greatest shows ever written, but they were crowd pleasers, and people yeah. came and they liked it. And, and in fact, Beauty and the Beast, the uh, uh, same thing happened with Fantasy of the Opera. I remember Judy Kay telling me, well, I'm glad that, you know, it's such a, a, a hit from London, and everybody's impressed by that, that they're coming to see it. But um, she said, we certainly, if we had to run on the reviews we got after opening night, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Which, you know, you, you probably read all about that stuff. Oh, yes, yeah. And do you usually find that you have some sense of how a show is going to do? Um, yes. I, I know when I'm something... I remember my mother... My, my second uh, Broadway show was A Little Night Music. And it was such a shock to my whole family and friends because I knew the night before that I was going to go on. So a lot of my friends and family came to see it when I went on. And they, they loved Gantry. And um, so we were in Boston with A Little Night Music. And my mother said to me, so what do you think? You know, they were shock, as shocked as I was that, it, that Gantry had closed. She said, what do you think about this? And I said, well, I know that I am in something very beautiful, but I don't know if everybody else is going to think so. It was a very sophisticated show, and I wondered how the general public was going to receive it. But uh, Sondheim and Prince were in their heyday. They were in their yes. prime. And so that alone, that fact alone, um, sold a lot of tickets. And so you mentioned that one of the roles you did was Mrs. Malloy in Hello, Dolly. And I'd be curious to ask about that, which you did with Molly Pecan as Dolly. That's right. That's and, right. Yes. And what she was like in that whole sort of... She was an inspiration. <clears throat> she was a pro. She was adorable. She was funny. She was sweet. She had fabulous technique. I learned a lot about technique. Um, I was like a little sponge, you know. Yeah. Um, I, not that I was taking notes in my head, but just to see what she did to make things work. Uh, just the practical aspects of performing. And um, But she, was, uh, she became a friend, uh, and we kept friends for a while. And um, I repeated that role with her in another... Uh, we did a, 
in stock the, the following summer as well, uh, with a partially different, mostly different cast. But I was Mrs. Malone, Malloy, oh. and she, um, she and I became great friends. It was, she was a very lovely, lovely, sweet woman, and uh, I, I, I look back at my career and I, I realized after many years that I had befriended many actors who were far older than I. And I think that um, the reason that I had, this may sound strange, but you may understand it. I had all of my grandparents, all four of my grandparents, lived uh, into ripe old ages. And I had them in my life into my adulthood. So I felt very comfortable with adults. Yes. And I think that there are a lot of people who were who had celebrity, who were older. Um, and now that I have celebrity because of Orange, not because of my Broadway career, I think you understand that. Uh, because, you know, millions of people know me now, and I get, I still get made all the time. Um, that people who have celebrity for a number of years get tired of being spoken to deferentially. Yeah. That they, you know, I, and I know, and I know what that feels like a little bit now. Um, so when I was with these older actors who were very experienced and big stars, I was very comfortable with them. They were just older people like my grandparents, <laughs> you know. Yes, um, it's as simple as that. And um, and as you could probably tell, I'm a very down to earth person. I. I uh, used to say I'm just a housewife from New Jersey who occasionally stars on Broadway, <laughs> and now I occasionally star on television. You know, it's um, I am uh, a New Jersey girl. It's a family uh, first. It's just who I am. I I never aspired. I never wanted uh, uh, celebrity. I never sought it. I didn't want celebrity to invade my life. But it came at just the right time. Uh, you know. Um, <laughs> that it came late in my career when I was ready to uh, partially retire. And um, I can enjoy, uh, I can enjoy the celebrity and it's not, I'm not in the flow anyway. I'm living in a little house in New Jersey with my husband and it's really fine. Yeah. And so I'd be curious to ask just because there is no record of her performance. What was Molly Pecan's Dolly like? Well, um, there was a. She was a great comedian uh, in the in the Yiddish theater. A truly great one. Um, yeah. I, I never saw her in the Yiddish theater, but her re reputation was fabulous. And um, every moment was important to her. Her timing was eloquent. It truly was. And um, but she was very personable she was very charming and the most uh the most special thing that she did that unlike not unlike but uh, in a way that ex far surpassed any dolly that i've seen was that her ephraim speeches oh. were so from the heart they were heartbreaking and in a joyful way and I, in fact, I get a little filled up just talking about it. And part of the reason was, Charles, that when she was doing that show uh, for the first time, which is when I was first with her, she was traveling alone without her husband for the first time 
since she was married, which was when she was oh. about 18 years old. And she was on, she spoke with him on the phone every day, and she missed him terribly. She didn't know how to use a credit card. Um, she was He used to take care of her all the time. And I kind of stepped in um, to, I had a car, be the Jersey girl that I was, you know, I drove down to Philadelphia and stuff. And um, I had a car, and we would go out to lunch, and I'd take her shopping, and we'd hang out together, and she'd talk about him all the time. And I know that her worry about his passing, which he didn't, they, they were really, he, was, it was, um, he had had a very serious surgery, and he was uh, recovering. Uh, and her sister was living with uh, Yonkel and, and caring for him with the nurses. And she was very frightened that she would lose him. But you'd never know it, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to see her. But I'm sure that those speeches were to your uncle. Yeah, yeah. And so you also met your own husband doing a show, which was... I did. My husband's name is John Witham, my Jack. Jack is a nickname for John. And... Uh, we were a part of a large group of people who were in that enormous ensemble. I can tell you that it was a black and white musical, that's what we used to call it, and the African-American people were uh, lining up from City Opera. They were lining up for their, for their equity cards, some of them, because they'd never done a show. They'd done opera. And then the others of us had been doing Broadway or regional theater, and a lot of my fellow ensemble members had done leads in, in big road houses and, and supporting roles on Broadway. And my agent said to me, and I'd only been, Night Music had been in 1973 to 74, and this was 76. And I was getting a lot of attention in the stock regional theaters and stuff and getting reviews and all that. And my agent said, I can't let you go and be in the chorus, Beth. Oh. Uh, um, you know, uh, this is not a good thing. And I, because I was getting, I was seen as a standby and an understudy, and they also wanted me to be the understudy for Patricia Routledge, which oh. I did. I was the company, on, uh, you know, cover. They would have, if we had run, they would have hired a name, you know, for her. That's, you know, you know the, that custom. Um, but he said, this is not a good thing for you to do. And I said, I have had a crush on Leonard Bernstein since I was 14 years old from watching him on the Young People's Concerts on television and going to see him at Lewiston Stadium, which was the summer home of the New York Philharmonic, just to watch him conduct. I said, Leonard Bernstein wants my voice, and I'm not going to deprive him of it. <laughs> so I said yes, and when I did it, and I met and spent social time with Pat Rutledge, she had basically the same story, and we laughed and cried about it uh, over dinner one night. She said she took a walk through the Queen's Park and said, well, they only sent me the first act, and it's really not very good. The music is gorgeous, but I, I'm afraid the book is weak, ba 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 ba. But Leonard Bernstein wants my voice, and I'm not going to deprive him of it. So we had that in common. So that's why I did the show. And Jack bought himself out of a contract to, uh, to be in that ensemble. And he had 
he had more to do in the show than I did. Um, I was really just one of the girls. And what was it like to collaborate with this man who you'd admired for so long, Leonard Bernstein? Well, it was quite thrilling just to be in his company. Um, Jack had much more experience. He, He worked on a big number in the show with the boys and helped teach them um, the number and um, uh, we did not have that privilege Uh, but we were in his company and that meant a great deal to me. Yeah, yeah. And you were also working with another great writer, Alan J. Lerner, on this? Oh my gosh, yes. That also was thrilling, and of course I uh, respected him a great deal. I didn't have a crush on him, <laughs> but I, I was very, very impressed. Of course, I was. Well, you know, I did it. My first big show was with Sondheim. Um, you know, I I got to know him, and he the, when when I would have experiences, first time experiences, I I would be thrilled when a famous person knew me. I, it was one thing for me to be with them. But when they knew my name, that they really knew me, I, I couldn't get over that for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, and it was thrilling for me to, to, to ha- be in the company of Steve Sondheim and, and talk to me like a person, yeah. and talk to me like Beth, you know. It just boggled my mind. Uh, with Alan, he was very charming and uh, much more approachable oh. um, with all of us. And indeed, when Lenny left us, um, because uh, that's the short version, he, he and Alan were no longer welcome in the rehearsal room oh. by the new uh, director and choreographer uh, who replaced Frank Cassaro and uh, Donnie McHale. Um, they, um, uh, Alan stayed. He stuck it out and kept trying rewriting and changing and adapting and so forth. And uh, Lenny just went back to New York and and left us flat, you know. He, yeah. he moved on. He, it was driving him crazy. There were too many too many stars, too many cooks. Yeah. You know? It yeah. was too big. Too big. And do you think that that ultimately is why it wasn't so successful? Well, there were a lot of reasons. Yeah. There were a lot of reasons. I think it was context, it was point of view, it was, um, I, I, I don't think it was for everybody. I mean, we, they, uh, they loved it in Washington. I mean, the audiences loved it in Washington because they got all the jokes yeah. and it was a mixed, uh, you know, the, the audience uh, uh, politically was mixed. But in Philadelphia, um, they, uh, they walked out by the hundreds with oh. theater parties when they found that it, they were not... The show was not saying what they wanted to say. They got up and left. It was quite shocking and amazing. Oh, yeah. And so I do want to make sure that we don't skip a little night music, even though we went from Hello, Dolly, to this. Um, and so how did how did that show first happen for you, a little night music? I uh, auditioned for it only when... Um, uh, of the casting director who was always with Hal, whom I know very well. Um, Joanne, Joanna Merlin? Yes. Uh, uh, Joanne uh, told my, this this is the end of a a very long story, which I'm not going to share with you, it takes too long, but she said uh, um, to my then agent, please tell Beth 
that this is, in, I know it's the quintet um, and it's uh, a leader singer, but it is a white contract. And the reason was that I had turned down pit singer in company. Oh. Uh, I, I auditioned to, to be a replacement in company. And um, uh, to be a, a replacement of, of a pit singer who was an understudy uh, for two parts. And they called and offered me pit singer only because the, I don't remember who it was, but one of the gals in the pit um, was assigned to the cover. So it was only going to be pit singer. And this little agent that I had at the time said, you know, you're never going to, I said no to it. I said, I couldn't possibly stand under that. And I was new in the business. Yeah. And I said, oh, I, I can't do that. What do you mean? Well, I, I can't just sit down there knowing that I'm never going to get on the stage. Okay. <laughs> they, you know, I was, and I was 28 years old. I only was a kid. And, um, and I had no, you know, no resume. And, uh, but I didn't care. I knew what personally, that's how I made decisions about jobs is how I felt about it. Did I want to do it? I thought, well, I couldn't possibly do that. And they, nobody could believe that I said no to Hal Prince. And the oh, agent yeah. said, you're never going to work for Hal Prince. And Joanna Berlin said, please tell Beth it's a white contract. Oh. As, a, as a sop to me that I would feel better about it and I would please come in and audition <laughs> for the leader singer. So I covered both um, Charlotte and Petra and went on for Charlotte for a week. Oh. Hal came in to watch my rehearsal and left in the middle of it and I was upset oh. uh, because he never said anything to me and when I was leaving the theater at, at the end of the rehearsal um, uh, the doorman uh, called me over and there was nobody in the theater except the two of us and, and I said what's up and he said well I just thought I overheard uh, Hal on the payphone and I thought you might be interested in what he had to say and I said, what? And he's like, well, what is this about? He said, well, he said, I tell, he said, well, we don't have to worry. She's not, she's not, a, she's not a chorus girl. She's an actress. Oh. We'll be okay. Wow. That's all I had to hear. That yeah. made my year. That made my year. So when my contract came up at the end of the year, I was able to get it in my contract that I had first refusal on the, that I would replace Charlotte oh. if, if I wanted it. And, and so, in fact, I was going to replace uh, uh, Pat Elliott, uh, in fact, when I took a two-week vacation. I took a week vacation, I'm sorry. I took a week vacation at the end of the time that preceded when I was supposed to replace her. And uh, when I came home, the notice had gone up that night. Um. And... Mary Bryant, who was the uh, public relations gal at the time, gave me the galley sheet of my billing and my bio in the playbill that was never seen. Um, but I was indeed going to play opposite the replacement for Larry Guitard. Lawrence Guitard and, and Patricia were both leaving for separate reasons on the same date. And during that summer, Hal explained to the company, I don't know whether it was the truth or not, that... Um, the reason we were closing was not because we were doing bad business, which we weren't doing terribly bad business, but the road company was not doing well. And he said, I have to present a good, you know, sheet to my my current producer, my current backers and the backers to be. Um, and I have to be 
I have to be making the most money I can, and the way I'm going to do it is to close this show and put everything into the road, sh the road company. Oh. That's what the, he told us. I mean, who knows what, you know, you probably will talk to people who will tell you the truth or whatever, you know. <laughs> but so there, I came home thinking I was going to be Charlotte on Broadway and, and had no job. But that's when I moved into the uh, over here, covering uh, Janie Sell and the Andrews sisters in over here. Oh, and so which you... I oh, sorry, please go ahead. No, actually, I, some of my best stories come, but I'm I'm not going to bore you with it, those. But I um, I covered the Andrews sisters in over here, which you 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 must know something about. I would imagine oh, yes. knowing the little bit about you. Well, I would love to hear some of those stories if you wouldn't mind telling them. If no, I don't mind telling them. Um, I uh, well, I think I should just tell you because otherwise it would take way too much time because it really was wild. Oh. Um, it was scheduled to go out on a national tour, and uh, the sisters were fighting between one another, and they were making too many demands and. Um, one would ask for something else over the moon, and if she got it, the other one would ask for something even ho higher than over the moon. And and the kids in the company, the kids, you know, I mean, they're all something became big star. Mary, Mary Lou Henner and all that, you know, Travolta was already gone by then. Um, they'd already rented, sublet their apartments, and and it was all canceled. The tour was canceled. But I was asked to do Janie Sell's role on the road because J.D. had a, a young son that she needs to stay home to take care of. Um, but I uh, went on for um, all of them. I went on with a little bit of notice for Maxine. I went on for with notice uh, for Janie for uh, a couple of performances. And then on Christmas Eve, um, which was the week before we were closing, uh, because we closed after the first of the year um, in over here. I normally was allowed to go home at 10 o'clock because neither one of the sisters fell into the pit, with, you know, but to go till 10.30. So um, I happened to be there because it was Christmas Eve and we had a little tree downstairs and um, I was helping the, the hairdresser whom I'd done night music with, um, to string lights on the tree and you know all that. So fortunately, I had my I had makeup on. And I was dressed for a party, and we were just going to have champagne and whatever after the Christmas Eve thing before everybody went home. So I'm down there, and stage manager who called the show from the pit and had with headphones uh, connected to the music director came storming into the dance down the, the, the you know the where the orchestra changed, they had their lockers and stuff, and said, you've got you to go on, you've got to get dressed, she won't finish the show. And I said, well, I covered all three of them. I said, who will finish the show? And he said, Patty, Patty. And I had never gone on for Patty. Oh. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, okay, just stay there, because she's locked in her room, and um, I, didn't have my, I didn't have my own costumes. They were bigger than I was, but they figured they'd always have time to, you know, figure it out well. I stood there while they brought, there was nobody in the room, so it was just me and the hairdresser who was allowed to see me with my underwear on, and um, they had to beg and pound on the door and get the clothes out, have somebody go in and get 
her address for the final number. There was one more big number. It was almost the end of the show. She walked off after the ballad and locked herself in the room and said, I'm not finishing the show. So, and here I am, uh, once again, with no put-in rehearsal, and the entire company is unaware of this. And I'm in the basement getting, um, you know, a wig put on me that they hope that fits, and uh, and the body mic uh, is put on me, and the battery pack, which in those days was these, this big, it was like um it was like a big cell phone. It was like a big old-fashioned cell phone, is because the battery it was all battery, and it was uh, put in a holster that was made of elastic that went around my waist and then around my thigh, on the inside of my leg, and all of this, and then the dress was uh, wrapped around me and and uh, safety pinned with those giant safety pins. You know, <laughs> this is what I, I'm, I'm going on the Broadway stage like this. Okay, all right, so I'm all pinned together, and I've got like four inches of selvage pinned to my back, and I have, so I have to remember to keep facing the front. And now the entrance was made on what I call an MGM staircase, and the escape stairs were just the, the exact mimic of the stairs that went down to the um, this dead center of the apron, which is where the dummy 40s radio mic would come up for them to do their bit. You know, they'd stand around like the Andrews sisters did in the movies and, and sing into it. And so I got to places, this happened like in 10 minutes, got to places, uh, and there is Janie, and there's Maxine, and they see me, nobody's told them, nobody's had time to tell them, okay, that Patty's not doing number, and they they just stood there with their hands out, like, what? And I went, I'll tell you later, Patty's locked in her room, she's okay. And we, now the music is playing, and I run up the back of the stairs, with the two of them, I'm in the middle, and we hit the top of the stairs, and we throw our arms up, you know, like, here we are, and then the music is played, this really hot number, the big beat, and we shuffle on down very quickly, briskly, to the edge of the apron, and this black comes up. Meantime, the entire company is on stage facing us, because as the, in the number, they're facing upstage, presenting us with their arms out, see me in the middle, and they're, they're all gaping, going, what the... Okay, now we get down to the end of the stay, the ed the edge of the apron, and what has happened from the top of the stairs to the edge of the apron is that the battery pack is swinging between my knees. Oh. So I'm figuring that if my battery pack is down there, that maybe the audience can't hear me, and I have the melody. And in this number, we have to go each of us around the stage. It's called the big beat. We each sound on top of big a big bass drum. And I ignored that because I knew that I had to get sing in somebody's white mic. So I picked Maxine. And wherever Maxine went in the number, I went to and went right side up alongside her so that her mic would pick me up. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Got the picture? And Janie's yes. over there on her drum and I'm leaning over Maxine's drum and I mean it's this you know. And we went off into the wings at the end of the blackout and the number, and she looked at me like, what the, you know, and I just stood still and pointed between my knees, and she saw it swinging and got hysterical laughing. Now, I don't know if you ever heard that there was a third act to what was called the third act in Over Here. Oh. But at the end of the grant, at the end of the last curtain call, Patty and, and Maxine got out and sang, uh, did 10 minutes for the audience of their old hits. 
a medley of their old hits. Did you ever hear about that? No, I haven't. Well, that's what they called the third act. So when this happened and we were in the wings, she said, you're going to do the third act with me. And I said, I don't know the medley. She said, well, you kid, you've got the best teacher in the world. She dragged me out, introduced me to the audience, told the, told the audience what had happened, not that, you know, Patty was ill and Beth was happened to be here for the Christmas party, and here and I got another big round of applause, and they and they went crazy. And she said, and she's going to sing Apple Blossom Time with me. And we just stood opposite one another, so I could follow her lips, and I sang the song with her with tears running down my face. Oh wow! It was amazing. It was amazing. Oh yeah. It was crazy. Um, so if I can go back for a second to um, a little night music, I would love yes. to ask about, as you said, this was when Hal Prince and Soundtime were sort of at the top of their their careers. And what was it like to be collaborating with both of them at this time? I knew enough about theater to know where I was and who I was with. It was uh, it was thrilling. It was absolutely thrilling. And I can remember, I'm sure you're aware of the... Um, the videotape of the um, the company recording sessions oh, with yes, Stritch yeah. and all that stuff. Well, I saw that on Channel Thirteen or something. And there's a there's a moment there where um, the do uh, do 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 number is happening, and there was a problem with it. And um, Steve said, "I'll go tell Donna; she'll fix it." because she was the musician in the group. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, if that ever happened with me, and he would say, I'll tell Beth she'll fix it because she's a musician, I would, I think I would die. <laughs> and then, and within a year or so, there I was doing a, a Sondheim show. And, in fact, Steve had a party for us um, not long after we opened, and he, he showed us the film... Oh, I can't remember it. Despo was in it. Um, uh, Glidis was in it. Uh, and Stephen wrote the music. I can't remember it. it it's, it's too far back in my memory. <clears throat> and um, he um, he played it on a, a 16 millimeter uh, projector on a card table in a little viewing room that he had on the main floor. And uh, for just the cast, you we're allowed to bring a plus one. And um, I was sitting on the other side of the card table from him. And we went, then we went, there was a beautiful buffet. We had a lovely supper. And then we came back in and uh, he said, I got one other thing. Because we're all still just partying, partying like mad. And, uh, you know, another round of drinks and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I've got, uh, I've got the reel of that, uh, that company recording. I'm sure you'd like to see it. And I sat there on the other side of the table, and I started, Irish, I'm very Irish, I started to cry. And he said, if I said something to offend you? <laughs> I said, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I couldn't believe that I was sitting across his card table, having him, you know, bringing up that recollection of my dreaming of possibly working with him someday. And there I was, hanging out with him. It was really cool. Yeah. So I knew where I was, and I, I appreciated it. Yeah. And, of course, you did so many shows that we won't be able to talk about all of them, but one of the next biggest ones that you did was Peter Pan with Sandy Duncan. And yeah. So this was the beginning of your doing some sort of 
children's musicals and what appeals to you about that? Well, I I didn't do children's musicals after I was, you know, doing it. I did children's musicals for Harnick Adams um, before I did a Broadway show, but um, the um, doing a children's musical is no, or a music that, you know, Annie or something, it's no different than doing another musical. I mean, um well, I can remember an actress meeting me on the street when Beauty opened, and she said, I'm so sorry all you fabulous guys are having to play, you know, objects. I mean, oh. you know, and I said, see, I'm not playing an object. I'm not playing a teapot. I'm playing a mother whose son is going to not live if this, if this guy doesn't <laughs> you know, take the hook from this girl. I said, it's a love story. It's not, you know, we're, I'm a real person up there. Um, it, it didn't matter. I was uh, Mrs. Darling and Mrs. Potts, you know, same, same. Um, I don't look at it as any other way. It's, it's just as sincere. It's heightened. It's musical comedy. It's heightened. Your timing is different. Your, your presentation is, is a bit different. But, um, no, it's, it's the same. Yeah, yeah. And what was it like to be collaborating with Sandy Duncan and with George Rose, who are two great actors? It was the ball. The, the reason I took Peter Pan was that George, I, I said to my agent, she said, you're going to be happy with this? I said, well, I, if I can do a, a book scene with George Rose on a Broadway stage, that's going to make me really, really happy. Oh. Uh, and that's all I had was that uh, I got to know him and uh, be friends with him, and it was um, it was thrilling. And and what the gift to me that I did not know was waiting for me is that he left to do a play with uh, Rex Harrison and uh, 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 Claudette Colbert. Uh, as he said, he was going to be the little kitty in the, with his little tin cup down the down the hall. He was going to be the child in the in the company. They were so elderly, um, but uh, who replaced him was Christopher Hewitt, and Christopher Hewitt then became lifelong friends. And he, of course, is gone, but um, he became a very close friend. Whenever I would go to L.A., we would always have lunch, dinner, or both, or whatever. Um, and he knew my husband. He had directed my husband, Jack. Uh, Jack was very fond of him. Jack always said that Chris Hewitt was one of the best directors he ever oh. worked with, uh, which I, I never realized because he did regional theater and he did off-Broadway. But, um, yeah. 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 That was the real gift of it. And, and But Sandy, Sandy was Peter Pan. She was Peter Pan. She had been married to a man who had a 12-year-old a, a son, I think, and I think she did that boy, uh, you know, on the stage, that she learned her body language. She just was amazing and electrifying and um, and thrilling. And I would go out to the house to watch her say, um, children, you know, when she'd look over her shoulder and, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to save Tink? And she... And she uh, looked over her shoulder, just, just, I would just go, because I had nothing to do except the beginning and the end, and I'd go out to watch her just say that word, to yeah. beg the children to clap. Yeah. And what do you think made that show so successful for you? Um, 
I think it was because um, Ron Field came in and saved it by bringing heart to it, which was ironic. Um, he had just directed King of Hearts a couple of years before, and that, um, as you can tell by the title, it should have had heart, and it didn't. And um, I was very upset that Ron Field was going to come in and to help us because it wasn't working. Yeah. And uh, and I and I shared that with a couple of people. I said I'm nervous about it. I'm, or, I'm worried for us. This is this is not a good thing. And he came into the first day of rehearsal with us when he replaced Rob Iscove, and he said, "Some of you may be. I'm sure that he didn't hear it from anybody I said anything to because they were my friends. Um, you probably don't think it's a good idea that I'm the guy for this job." He said, "But I'm going to say something in my defense." And he was very good natured about it. He said, when I was doing King of Hearts and I needed help, nobody was in town. Hal was in Mallorca. Mike was in L.A. You know, he started rattling off the show fixers. He said, but this time I'm here and I know what you need and I'm going to give it to you. And that's what he did. Wow. Don't ask me how he did it. I couldn't tell you. But um, it was quite amazing. Was quite amazing, and I um, I have to tell a brag story uh, on oh. myself. He was uh, standing at the back rail at the house uh, opening night, and uh, Michael Bennett was with him alongside him, which I did not know until the first intermission. I was in my dressing in our dressing room, and uh, Ron had run up the four flights of stairs to tell me that. After the first scene, he leaned over to Ron and said, after the, the scene with the children, who the hell is she? she? She just set up the whole tone of the whole show. Wow. And I, so I like to think that I contributed to the heart of that show. Oh, yes, yes. And so when you're in a show that's long run, how do you avoid sort of getting stale in it sometimes? Um, I always say that I... An actor's job is to pretend, and the biggest job I have is to pretend I've never heard the words, I've never seen the set, I've never felt the feeling. That's a, that's what acting's about. About is being surprised, um, and um, I I do not. I am just. It's in my personality. It's either you you're that way or you're not. I don't get bored. Yeah. I don't get bored uh, doing a role. I get tired. And I do other things in the daytime. I do, you know, books on tape and commercial auditions and stuff uh, and other sta stage readings. If they're in the daytime, I would do to keep it fresh and keep myself, you know, good. Um, but I, uh, every, every night is a new house. Yes. And I tell you, we were about almost a year in. And when you figure that everybody who's anybody in the business has seen it, and I was on the street one day, and I knew Jerry Zaks. I knew, I did. I was the fairy godmother in the production of Babes in Toyland, and Jerry Zaks was the elf. Oh, That's, uh, <laughs> so I knew Jerry Zaks. It was he was right. He's fresh out of Yale, and um, he saw me on the street. He said, "Beth, Beth," and I said, "Oh, hi, Jerry. How are you doing?" He said, "Great." He said, "I got to tell you, I never got around to seeing Beauty, and I saw it last week. And please tell everybody you were wonderful, Gary. Oh my God, and, and you know." And blah blah blah, and he started rallying off. And I went back to the theater that night and I said, Okay, listen, <laughs> you never know who's going to be out there. Yeah. 
in case you're feeling a little draggy tonight, I got on the phone. I got on the, the uh, stage manager. Let me get on this on the squawk box. I said, so be be congratulated, Jerry Shat. Zach loved the show <laughs> last week, and everybody had the good word. So just just imagine if you're feeling tired that there's another Jerry Zach's out there. Yeah, yeah, and. I'd be curious to know who have been some of the most exciting people to visit you at shows or? Who visit? Visit or, me, did you say? Or who've, who've you sort of seen at shows or come backstage or? Oh, anything? well, we're not mentioning Hugh Jackman. And oh. I'm, I'm wondering why not. Oh. <laughs> oh. Um, that, that, he is the most thrilling person I've ever been with on oh. Broadway. Maybe you were getting to him. Were you getting to him? Yes, yes, I was going to. Yeah, oh, okay, I'm sorry. But, I'm oh. trying to think. Um, uh, one I do remember, which was really kind of comical, I was sitting at my dressing room mirror during Oz. Uh, that's why it jumped into my head, forgive me. Oh. Um, I mean to be rude with you. Um, oh, no problem. Uh, but uh, there was a knock on the door um, a few minutes after the curtain had come down. And I looked in my... I, I said, come, which is what I say, come. And the door opened, and I see this handsome, mature face in my mirror behind me. And he said, hi, I'm, I'm uh, Bob Wagner, and this is my wife, Jill St. John. And I looked in the mirror, and I said, no kidding. <laughs> it was like, you, you came to my dressing room on the second floor. To, you know, it, that was very fun. Um, but it, that was a surprise. I don't know why. I Usually, um, there are people down at the stage door or, yeah. you know, whatever. But over uh, uh, in, in Sweeney, uh, it was it was really awkward, and I had heard that people would wait for me. But if there, anybody who was like a celebrity or something, it was so awkward because the backstage was so small and crowded oh, because yeah. it was the company for that theater. Um, by the time and by the time I got out, it was like, oh, so and so said something, you know, whatever. But I would see because it was in the round. You would see who was sitting there and who would stand up when I came out, which wasn't good for Bob. God knows Bob needed, you know, deserved a, a standing. Oh, but they back in the day, back in that day, they didn't stand until the star came out, and uh, they, they, you know, they'd always stand for me, and that was always a very nice feeling to see, see who, you know, that there were celebrities in a house that stood up for you. It was very nice. Oh yes. And so the next show you did was Baby on Broadway, which I know you have a long history with, but how did... I, uh, that how... was a beautiful, beautiful experience. Most, uh, mutual, society, uh, mutual admiration society of those people. Oh, yeah. I watched the um, the reunion you recently did on video, and it was wonderful. Oh, yes. Yeah. But I'd be curious to know how you first got started in those first workshops. Um, I think I talked about it a little bit um, in that that uh, reunion. Oh yes. Remember, um, I went on about because uh, it was so. I really complained to my agent because I was at a point in my career that what what is their problem? I mean, you know, I had I sang like five songs, four or five songs for them, and I never have to dig stuff out of my portfolio, you know. Oh. <laughs> I've already been in the business a while, and and. Um, and, and and what did Richard say? Richard say, well, who wouldn't want to sit and listen to that? I would say five songs. <clears throat> but it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was thrilling. We all had the highest regard for one another. And the material, the, those songs, um, 
sorry, Steve, but I songs that are written for actors to sing, and they're and they're very musical to sing and very satisfying. Um, uh, you know, uh, everything that we had to sing in that show was very emotionally satisfying and you took a journey every step of the way and it was just thrilling to do. I loved that score and I loved what everybody in it did with it. And Richard Maltby was of course sort of the mind behind most of that show and what was your collaboration with him like as Well he loved me because I I laughed at all his jokes. Oh. I got his sense of humor a lot. No, but David Shire was uh, also very, you know, right there. Yes, yeah. He took he took us on a journey musically, and it was so integrated you couldn't really separate one from the other. Um, and Wayne Salento uh, was wonderful, and I knew him. I knew Wayne. I had done. Uh, he was in the Dolly oh. with uh, with Molly. Yeah, so I knew him, and he. I had gone to his wedding, and uh, we had kept friends and stuff. So, yeah, 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 and. What do you think was the magic that that cast had sort of together? That that what had? I'm sorry. Oh, that that cast. Oh, that cat that the cast had. Yeah. Oh, the, well, I th I think first of all that the cast was very well. We were very well cast. Yes. We yeah. were very well cast in our roles, and um, and we filled them as best they could be filled. I, I really felt that we would, we did we all did our best work in that show, and uh, we were all polished to a turn in, uh, when we we shone because um, of the material and uh, and I I never felt that it was, that it was soap opera ish at all. I mean there was they were some bad mouthing of the book. I didn't feel that way at all. I didn't feel it was unnatural at all. I, I thought it was wonderful. The, the, the tough part was selling the show. Who wants to come see a show about babies? You know, it wasn't about babies. It was about what a, ba a baby, the idea of baby, has on couples. Yeah. It's how that, that the dynamic uh, changes things, or the possibility of having a baby changes things. So it was a lot to chew on, and um, it wasn't uh, to be trivialized. It was... I had great respect for the show, and was very disappointed it it didn't run longer so that more people could see it. But it's been done all around the country, as you know, I'm sure. Yes, yes, then it's been done a lot. Yeah, they, people love it. You know. And so I'd be curious to know: at this point, you are a big Broadway star on Broadway, and were there roles that you turned down? That's a good question. Oh. Uh, one that comes to mind is one um, that didn't make somebody happy. I had to choose between Bells Are Ringing and Tom Sawyer. Oh. And I had just finally left um, Beauty. And I, I guess I can say it because Barbara Cook is no longer with us, but I didn't want people to think that I was hiding under that costume, gaining 100 pounds during oh. all that length of time that I did Beauty. So I chose to do the role in um, in the Bells Are Ringing where I was going to wear a 50s dress with a waist and show my legs and not, not a snood on my, on my neck and a bustle on my butt again and a long dress. I didn't want to look like an old lady. I wanted to look like I, I still had a youthfulness about me. And um, that was the reason that I turned that down. Yeah. yeah. 
And I'd be curious to know what would appeal to you about a role when you get offered one? Oh, well, um, I what I've been putting out there is uh, that I would like to do Madame Armfeld somewhere respectful oh. um, before I leave. Oh. <laughs> that I aspire to. I did a stage reading of it. Um, and, of course, I was there for the whole run for the year and a half that it ran, unbelievably short time. Um, but uh, I would love to get my heads on that role because I sat, I stood the staging for the liaisons number in the original show. We've probably seen photographs of Hermione sitting in this very high-backed uh, summer lawn chair. And the staging was that the quintet was on the deck with her in limbo, and each of us was facing upstage. And I was just downstage left of her. I was at her left hand, just a couple of feet away. And I watched Hermione Gingold work, work that audience every single performance. Depending, I'll tell you, Charles, depending on what kind of a house it was, that's the way she delivered that final speech. If they were a, 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 um, a matinee audience where the ladies weren't paying attention, she would draw herself up and demand their attention just by her whole attitude and her articulation. And if it was a particularly attentive house and a bright house, which she always knew if they got all the laughs and they got the nuances and they got the puns and they got all the Sondheim stuff, she would just relax and sit with her hands drooped over the edge and just about whisper it. And you could hear people breathing. It was stunning. I learned that that was like going to class for a year and a half. She did, she, she did it for each audience. She read the audience. She watched because she's woven throughout the whole show. And by that time of the evening, she knows the house. And she worked the house and made them feel it and made them pay attention. It was gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And so one of the next things you did after um, doing Baby was you toured with A My Name is Alice along with... I did. No, I didn't uh, tour, actually. I only did... I did um, three shows for Burt Reynolds. And the first one was A My Name is Alice at the Burt Reynolds Theater. And that's the only place we did it. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, I did not go with it. What was your relationship like with Burt Reynolds? It was with great. That was another one that I was so excited that Burt Reynolds knew me. In fact, oh. I did um, A My Name is Alice. I played uh, the poetess. And I, I knew that I was funny. That I knew I could trust that I could get a laugh when the second time that Charles Nelson Riley came to see it, and I knew where he was sitting because they had boxes in that theater for dinner and um, for special guests. And I made my, I started to make my entrance to come out for my turn as the poetess. And he started to laugh as I walked out. And that made my heart sing. But anyway, um, what was I saying? I interrupted myself. Oh, you were just talking about that. And my relationship with the bird. With the yeah. Birds, yeah. Um, I did uh, three things for him, and the last one, uh, after the last one, he, I got a message that Bert wants to see you, and uh, so I went to his office, and I said, what's up? 
And he said, how do you feel about directing? And I said, I, I don't know. I don't direct. He said, I know. How would you like to direct uh, Baby here down in, in, in Jupiter, Florida? And I said, well, that's a swell idea, but I don't know the first thing about directing. He said, well, that's okay. He said, because I know you know what you're doing. And he said, Ken, the stage manager, he said, Ken, and I know from watching you, he said, says you've got a great sense of the whole and a great, se a great sense of the, the whole piece. And uh, he said, you brought, I've got a lighting designer, and I've got a, st a staging designer, and I've got a, get a choreographer for you. He said, you just have to string it together and work with the actors. And I went, I'd be ter terrified. He said, you don't have to be terrified, Beth. He said, I don't know what, I don't know how to direct, but I direct, come on. And that, you know, so anyway, I thought about it, and I thought, well, this is really would be a stupid thing to miss this opportunity. And besides, it would be rude to say that he underestimates me. It wouldn't be good business. So I said yes. But unfortunately, for both of us, um, another theater in, the, in Florida got the rights oh. before we did in southern Florida, southeast Florida. And um, so we, it never happened. But he knew me well. Oh, he when we were doing nonsense, he argued with uh, Danny Goggin, who wrote it and created it, because uh, Danny uh, wanted me to do Sister Robert, Mary Robert, and um, uh, Bert wanted me to do the role that Ruth. Oh God, I can't think of names. Another role, another one of the nuns. And they had an argument about it. And Danny said, I know Beth better than you two. Because this is a long, short version. Because I'd done backers auditions for Danny. And I'd done a little show of his as a showcase and stuff before he got, uh, did that nonsense. And um, so Bert took him at his word. And because uh, this was a nun who's from Brooklyn. And I'd always done ladylike things for for Bert, and he didn't know I was born and raised in Jersey City, you know, so I could talk like that. <laughs> so that, that all worked out. Yeah. And how did you find the experience of performing in these smaller theaters while you were also being a big star on Broadway at the same time? Oh, I, I have no adapting difficulties whatsoever. I mean, I think the last thing I did in I think the last thing I did in New York was the, uh, Ernest in Love, the uh, importance of being Ernest mu musical version at the Irish Rep, which is a very small house. Uh, and I do things up at Stony Point at the Penguin Rep Theater that's like 125 seats. I've done a few shows for them over the last 10 years um, with Richard Klein and people like that. Um, but I... Um, I like to say that I started my career in my grandmother's living room, you know, reciting poetry for the family on Sunday afternoons and singing yeah. songs. And, well, and we all got up and took our turns. And um, I'm not, uh, in fact, the last time I had to do something really scary was I was up for something for a very big um, TV series, and it was between me and another gal, and we had to do a scene, I had to do a scene with a reader in a, a very small office, 
and the other girl was terrified. I didn't get the job. Neither one of us did. Um, oh. but a big star got it. But um, uh, they didn't know it at the time. But um, I wasn't intimidated by it at all because I'm used to doing things in little theaters, yeah. you know, yeah. in little spaces. And it, it doesn't, it's just, I don't know, uh, you just follow your instincts. It's the yeah. size of the, the, the room only uh, affects how you project. I mean, I project for uh, a small theater uh, as vividly as I do with a large theater. I certainly give more uh, heft to my voice in a in a big house because your body language you have to support even though you're wearing a body mic I give it my old I, I behave as though I don't have a body mic I, and I was taught that by sound people you give me what you got and I will I will do what I you know the right thing that I had a laryngitis one time and, and the it was a woman who was a, the uh, the sound person and she came back and she said just give me don't push um, uh, I'll, I'll enhance it and, and you'll be okay. And I couldn't believe it. I was quite hoarse. And the music director, Bob Roberts, from the chorus line um, on Broadway, came backstage with all the glow, couldn't wait to congratulate me. And I started to talk. He said, you've got laryngitis? And I went, yes. He had no idea. So they could do things with the mics, but I, don't, I do the work. Because my bo I know my body has to, they have to believe my body is in a big space. It's not a play, it's a musical, you know. Yeah. It's a play, it's, different. it's a different thing. I'm giving you an acting lesson, Charles. Yes. <laughs> and so I'd love to take a quick detour, if I can, to talk about some of your screen work that you did. And so when did you start sort of actively pursuing a career on the screen as well? Um... Oh, on the screen as well? Well, I didn't pursue it, and I didn't have an agent that really um, uh, presented me to the film community very much, um, which is part of the problem. And I, my husband has scolded me for years, and I was, I was loyal to the agent, and I should have left long before I did. But when I did, and, uh, I did some television. But um, when I did, it just uh, kind of clicked, and, and I got lucky. Yeah. Yeah, and so and I got very lucky at Orange. And so, how did Orange Is the New Black happen for you? I read about three lines for a casting director. In fact, I was so annoyed about having to do it um, that I complained, and not uh, to my agent. I said, "Oh, for heaven's sakes, I, I, you know how many." Tony nominations do I have to do to get, you know, before they don't make me go down, well, then we down to, you know, the Bowery and uh, read three lines to play a nun, you know, like, like I couldn't do that, you know. And I said, well, you know, I have to go. So, all right, all right. I, oh, I turned down the audition, actually. Oh. I, I turned down the audition. And um, my agent said, okay, and I, that's what I told my agent. And, uh, he said, okay, that's the way you feel about it. I'll tell them if they want to go up tape, you know. Okay. They, they weren't upset about it. Who knew what it was going to be? Nobody yeah. knew what it was going to be. I, had no, I said, what is it? He said, I don't know. I think people are going to watch it on their computers or something. I don't know. So uh, streaming, we had no idea what it was. So um, I, I, the only reason I went to the audition is because I got invited. Somebody got tickets to City Center to uh, see a, a, a dance uh, thing. 
and um, invited me. And I went, oh, it's the same day that that thing is for the I might as well, since I'm going to be in anyway in park. Because when you live in Jersey, it's a thing. Yeah. You know, it's twelve dollars to get across the bridge and twenty dollars to park the car if you're lucky, and you know all that kind of stuff. So that was and finagling around Canal Street and all that. Was, I didn't want to do it. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to be in. I'll take a cab. Blah, blah, blah. All right. So, and it was a year later that my friend said, "Do do you not remember when you auditioned for that?" That was the night that we went to see that dance thing, and you were crabbing about, yeah, that was about three lines and all. So, who knew it would totally change my life for the next, you know, 10 years at least? And did you find. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And did you find anything about acting on screen to be different? What you had to do was different? Oh, yes. Well, the very first time that I did a TV show, which was I played opposite Richard Crenna in a ABC um, made-for-TV movie. And um, I can remember the only note that I ever got from a director doing, and that was, was my first time out, and the scene was that my child was in a hospital bed. And... Um, uh, you know, naturally, I was very, very upset. And he, we had a, the camera rehearsal. It was the first thing you do, the blocking rehearsal. But I, you know, I, I was doing it. You know, I was acting it the way I was going to do it in the real scene. And because I was inexperienced, I didn't know you were just supposed to just could get through it. And um, he called me aside when they went to, you know, set. And uh, he said, just remember, whatever you feel, the camera will see. And I looked at him really square in the eyes and I said, thank you very much. I got it. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. That was my last note. I never had to worry about it again. And I remembered it was the best note I ever got. But you feel the camera will see. Yeah. I let the camera do the work. And so uh, it was not a big adjustment for me. I had done, I played opposite, you know, some some big movie stars. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, done little things on soaps. Never anything, you know, commercials. I'd done a lot of commercials back in the 80s and 70s and 80s, and that kind of thing. So it was, I did have to, I'll tell you what, uh, as an actor was helpful to me. I did commercials before I did um, uh theatrical film, um, a friend of mine said, when you go to uh, the next commercial audition, if things are going slowly and there are not many people waiting and the uh, auditioner is in a good frame of mind, ask them to let you see yourself, play, the, play back the, you know, the takes. And I did that just like three or four times and I learned volumes. Not just about, because I was, when I said to him, I want, I've got a new lipstick, you know, i got a new makeup, I don't know whether it's good on camera, you know, blah, 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 blah. I wanted to see what I looked like on film. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And I went, oh, okay, I got it. And that's all. That's all it took for me anyway. And I asked you a similar question about some of your Broadway shows, but what do you think was the magic of Orange is the New Black, that it was so successful? 
I think the word heart comes in again um, if you have an empathetic bone in your body, and we, people are talking about empathy a lot these days, and about integration and uh, all of that. There, uh, um, it, it, it says it all. It, it makes you. It gives you empathy for kinds of people that you don't think you'd ever find the heart to have empathy for, because you get an understanding of why they're in the place they're in or the places they're in. Um, and the the, uh, the storytelling was beautifully, beautifully done yeah. and very acceptable. And, and enough humor to lighten it up and make... A, I can't tell you the diversity of people who, uh, who thank me and say nice things to me uh, run the gamut of oh. age, type, gender, big, color, being, everything, everything. Uh, you know, uh, Caucasian middle-aged couple was early on stopped me at the shop right and said, "Oh, we watch your show. We just love it so much." And I don't know. I guess I'm a snob. I didn't know. Uh, I certainly didn't think that you know these people were going to be watching it. Everybody watches it. Yeah. Everybody, and it touches everybody. And I think it's the universality of the uh, basic human kindness and and friendship. The friendship that women make. And they say it's not like that in the men's prisons, but in the women's prisons, they, um, uh, they, they, they befriend one another. They take care of one another. I, in fact, got to know, I don't, I, I don't know how much of Orange you may have watched or not, but the woman who inspired the story that was mine um, was a real person. And the things that she did, that I did, um, about the, the bombs and, you know, invading a you know nuclear facility and all that that was a true story and um so but then my, i was hired i was told that i was hired to be the foil i call it uh but the partner of um uh the trans per, personally you know for laverne and um i was told hired for the pilot and one episode uh and then they kept writing for us and for me and and that and that came out yeah. about and so to go back now to some of the things you did on Broadway, you did Teddy and Alice. You starred in Teddy and Alice opposite Len Cariou. And so yeah. that's another uh, situation where you're playing a real-life character. And does that sort of affect the work that you do? Uh, yes. In fact, I welcome doing um, the role in Teddy and Alice. I was very fond of Len Cariou. I had done a little night music with him. And uh, I enjoyed working with him, and I admired him a great deal. Um, and I liked having the opportunity to do research uh, on the character. And uh, sometimes you do research, and, that what you, and what you're doing on stage has nothing to do with it. But, but this did, and that was lovely. Um, and in the course of doing the show, early on, um, we I think it was some kind of presentation we did before we left town, I think it was the final run-through in the studio that we do sometimes, and um, a grand-nephew of Edith's wow. was, uh, uh, was there, and he was a man in his 50s, and he was aglow. He was, of course, he was aglow because it was, you know, 
um, musicalizing his family history, and it was very exciting to him. But he said, you captured my aunt. You, I could hear her voice. I don't know how you did it, but I don't either. But I just get did an elevated, you know, high New York society from that era, you know, very proper sp speaking. And um, I've learned that from films. You know, you see those movies. Um, but it, it was very, very satisfying. And... Uh, and it was a joy to work with that company. And Jack was in it as well. Um, I was in the, the elevator at 890 Broadway, uh, and I had gone for a fitting. And um, the director, Bud Whitney, was in the elevator with me. It was a teeny tiny elevator with an elevator worker person in there. And he said, somebody told me today that you're married to John Witham. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, he'd be perfect for our show. There are two small roles that I think he would be absolutely right for. He had done with Alan Lerner um, a show that Jack had done, uh, Lolita, My Love. Oh. And uh, Jack had a nice part in that, and he remembered him. And so I got out of that elevator, Charles, and I went to the nearest cell, uh, uh, cell phone, to the uh, telephone booth. Uh, because that was back in the day of, you know, that. And I put a quarter in and I called home, co collect, and I said, don't leave the house. Just stay there. I don't know if it's going to happen today, but I'll be home in a couple of hours. It might happen tomorrow, but you're going to get a phone call. And sure enough, they called, and he auditioned for the musical director, Don um, Pippin. I can't remember last name. Pippin, thank you. Don Pippin in his living room. And he sang half a song, and the Don said, okay, fine, no problem, you're in. And so Jack got the job, and we it was great because we went out of town. We were out of town for several weeks, and we weren't separated, and it was wonderful. We really had a wonderful time. And we and we got to be really good friends with Lynn and his, his wife, Heather. It was very lovely. Yeah, yeah. And at, at this point with your stature on Broadway, could you ever suggest changes to these shows? Uh, oh, to the the creative uh, people. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the one time that was very very meaningful and very active was in Baby, because we were playing real people that they create, but they were re created for us. And um, for example, I can remember one time, and we'd been at it for a while. We had done the workshop already the year before now we're in rehearsal for the now we're going to it's for real and so we know the characters we're work we were working on scenes with the characters and um they did a rewrite and brought it to jim congdon and me and we separately read it and then we got together we read it to one another and we looked at one another and he said to me i I don't think you and I would talk to one another this way at this point in the story. Do you? And I said, exactly so. That's exactly what I was feeling. I don't think we would treat one another this way at this point. We haven't found that intimacy level back. Yeah. We haven't gotten that back yet. And we went to Sybil and, they, um, and Richard, and they looked at one another and smiled and went, we'll fix it. You know better than we. Because we were in the characters, and it was a wonderful feeling. So we, uh, they trusted us going along. It was very, very nice. Unfortunately, the first night that the critics came in New York, 
um, uh, I picked. I had just picked up my first piece of mail in my slot downstairs by the the doorman, uh, and it was a note from uh, Stephen Sondheim telling me that he was uh, wishing me luck, uh, that he had seen it in previews, and saying that he was very excited for me. Wow. Love, Steve. And as I was reading it, there was a knock on the door, and it was Richard Maltby to tell me that Patterns was cut. Now, I have told that story uh, many times, but maybe you haven't heard it, or maybe you have. But people who know Baby at all choke when I tell them that. The only ones who heard me sing it live and in person were the ones who came to see the previews. And you hear it on the cast album. And so I would love to go on to a role that you were Tony nominated for, which was Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd. And so at the York when you started this, was a Broadway transfer ever an idea or did that come later? No, no, it was not. Um, there, something happened with Pacific Overtures, and I think there were some moves made on that, but none of us um, anticipated uh, a move when we were at the York, at the Church of he Heavenly Rest, which is where the York Theater uh, was doing it. And, um, uh, in fact, neither Bob nor I had to audition for it. Uh, Susan Shulbin knew our work. I had just done 42nd Street with her, and she knew both of our work from, she sees everything on Broadway. And um, she invited us to tea individually. She invited Bob first, which she told me when she invited me. And um, she offered it to me. And I said yes right away. Uh, Bob said he needed to go home and work on it because he wasn't sure that it sat well at his voice. But I knew that if Angela did it, I could do it. Not because I could do it as well as her. I don't mean that. I mean, I know, I knew I could sing in Angela's keys. Having done Maine before, and I did the, did it in the original key, keys. Um, uh, so I, I was very excited to be asked, and I said yes right off the bat. Um, and then once I said yes, I was absolutely terrified because it was only 10 years after the original production. I thought, what am I thinking? Everybody that saw the original is, you know, going to think, what is she? But anyway, I got over that in about the first week. It was okay. And how did you find your own sort of characterization of that role? In the script, in the music, in the, in the material. It was all right there. It was all right there. And I happened to have had to do a Cockney accent from the first job that I did where I got my equity card was Eliza Doolittle. Um, I I worked on Cockney and I, I had a wonderful dialect book that I read that was, they wrote out the, the inflections in musical notes, which was really cool. They'd choose a phrase and, and to give you an idea how to inflect your voice to, to get an accent. It was a very fascinating book, but um, it was written by a husband and wife team. I can't remember the name. But yeah, I had I have a fairly good uh, Cockney accent, which I also used a bit of in uh, Beauty. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be curious to know what your collaboration was like with Susan H. Shulman on this. Oh, it was delightful. Awesome. Absolutely delightful. She's, um, she's a great... Um, She's a very intelligent director, and she's, she expresses herself. She's very articulate to the actor. She, she makes it very clear what she thinks uh, would be appropriate for the scene and then lets you move forward, and she's also very trusting. Uh, 
she was very supportive um, and I had a very positive experience with her and when it was all over the last um, oh my my husband I I love you honey he just handed me a note is that supposed to remind me of yes I, I know what you I he, he just said he just handed me a note it says the velocity of autumn and Aunt Rita Velocity of Autumn is, is a play that, um, um, what's her face, Jack? Estelle Parsons. Oh, <laughs> I had oh, just yeah. no brain for it. Uh, Estelle Parsons played it for five minutes on Broadway. She became um, ill and was out and they uh, for so long, and the, and the cover went on, and they couldn't afford to stay open. It was very sad. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful play. And I did it at um, uh, the Cape uh, the Playhouse couple of years ago and I was uh, you know, I only had two weeks of performance but my my aunt Rita who was uh, I think 97 at the time came to see it my cousin brought her and I was playing an elderly woman who was on the you know edge of dementia and frail and this and that and the other thing and um, so when she came to visit and to see the show that night she came early in the day and I just watched every move she made, because and I had learned I'd done the character, and I was comfortable what I was with what I was doing, but I was afraid that maybe I was doing too much physically. Mm -hmm. And when I I said, "Come and walk with me," I want to walk you over to the pool, and I knew we had to go down a couple of steps, and there was a railing, and I just I put my arm out, and I watched what she did, and when. Uh, we did what we did and we got through the day and then she came to the show that night and she was in tears as was my cousin at the end of it and Jack was sitting behind them and he patted, patted her on the shoulder and, and he said, I know, I know. And he said, you know who she's doing, don't you? And she said, me. <laughs> and I did. I just took her on. I just took her on her, her body language. Yeah. And how she made her way from one side of the room to the other, and it just enhanced my performance. I hadn't had an opportunity to do that. I knew I followed my instincts about what an older person, but I thought maybe I was doing too much, and I, I thought, well, I'm not, you're not doing enough. Yeah. And it was really sweet. It was really sweet. So you never stop learning. I mean, I, I always try to, you know, color things and make them a little richer. A little. And when somebody new comes in, like my chips, I have, I had. 11 chips in my career because they get too old and their voice would change and so you know um the the jonas brothers nick nicholas yeah. that was my nicholas I, I never called him nick i was called him nicholas he was my nicholas and i i, I discovered in my head they were the jonas brothers the jonas and i knew that that he had brothers and i knew their mother she was lovely i knew they lived in jersey but I didn't, you know, I'm not into pop, you know, current, yeah. current pop stuff until it was hitting me over the head. And I went, oh, my God, the Jonas Brothers, Nicholas's brothers, and Nicholas and his brother. I mean, it was like this revelation. It was people were laughing at me. I was telling it on myself. But, uh, yeah, you always, you, you, you get what you, like my, my Mrs. Darling with George was way different than the one I had with Christopher. George was very gentlemanly and sweet. And, and uh, Christopher was blustery. And so I had to respond to him differently, you know? Yeah. You give back what you get. 